Welcome to Global Journalist, a show by journalists, about journalists, and for journalists and those who depend on our work. I'm Trevor Hook, a graduate student at the Missouri School of Journalism and one of the show's producers. This week, we're bringing you an episode from The Vault, an April 24, 2003 program that was taped in the middle of the SARS epidemic. As the world battles a new coronavirus, we thought you might find this episode pretty interesting. This show's host is Stuart Lurie. He was a foreign correspondent in Moscow and later a journalism professor at the University of Missouri. He died in 2015. Here's Stuart Lurie. After all the attention we have paid to the Iraq war and worldwide terrorism, it's hard to imagine that we are now afflicted with a situation that may cause even greater death and destruction, and that's the arrival on the world scene of the SARS virus. SARS stands for Sudden Acute Respiratory Syndrome. Here is a virus that breaks all the known rules for how a germ spreads. It's a type of germ that should only live without nurture for three hours. But in fact, the SARS virus lives up to 24 hours on a pen or a piece of medical equipment. Unlike the AIDS virus, which is only transmitted in the most intimate situations, this one can travel from one infected person to another easily. Some specialists think it can kill more than AIDS has done and much more quickly. We're going to drop our coverage of Iraq today for the first time in many weeks and concentrate on SARS. With me are journalists from the parts of the world most directly involved right now. In Beijing, Christopher Bodine, a correspondent for the Associated Press. In Hong Kong, Reginald Chua, editor of the Asian Wall Street Journal. In Singapore, Yo Ai Hoon, a freelance producer for the Discovery Channel and Channel News Asia. And in Toronto, Canada, Karen Palmer, a public health reporter with the Toronto Star. Let's start with Christopher Bodine. Christopher, uh, SARS was first spotted in Guangdong province in southern China, and it has since spread from there uh, uh, through a large part of China and into the rest of the world. Uh, what is the situation in China now? Is there any panic? Is there any great concern? Uh, holidays have been canceled. Schools have been closed. Uh, what's going on? Well, the situation took a, a rather radical uh, change over the last weekend when the government uh, finally came out and conceded that cases in Beijing were much, much higher, uh, about 10 times uh, greater than they had previously uh, let on, whether this was a deliberate cover-up or simply a, a mishandling of the information. Well, um, most people have their own opinions on those things. But after those revelations came through, the situation in Beijing became much more, much more uh, sharp, much more intense. Um, people started to wear face masks. We haven't seen that in large numbers before. Um, over recent days, we've had panic buying in in stores as people start to uh, uh, stock up on things like rice and canned foods, uh, both in order to avoid having to go to those places in future and also uh, in, out of fear that there would be uh, uh, shortages as, as we worry about um, uh, the, how long this will, will go on. People are uh, fleeing the city by, by train and by plane. Um, the airports are full. Rumors uh, continue to spread about uh, possible uh, large-scale quarantines, uh, even shutting off the entire city. 
And uh, while the government has been more forthcoming with some information, particularly in, in providing basically daily updates on, on new cases and new deaths, um, they're, they're, it's still hard to get uh, answers about uh, uh, what is really uh, going on here and what the, the program is. Yeah, Christopher, that's a grim story that you're, that you're telling, uh, uh, particularly what you say about people fleeing the city. Uh, there's obviously a danger there that infected, infected people are fleeing and perhaps spreading the virus. There is that, that worry, and then that's the worry that uh, was behind the cancellation of the week-long holiday. Uh, five days of that holiday have now been restored, but uh, people are being told not to travel, or rather tour, tour uh, companies are being told not to take people from, from province to province. Um, whether or not this will help spread the virus further, we're not sure. The people, uh, we spoke with the, uh, some college students who were leaving Beijing by plane this morning, and they, they seemed quite aware. They were talking about uh, uh, sort of uh, quarantining themselves for several days after they get home. Into to their home provinces, and and only then would they start to have contact with friends and and relatives. So hopefully, the uh, the greater uh, supply of information is starting to have an effect, and people are taking taking more precautions. And perhaps this will avoid a situation like you just described. Reg, you're uh, just a little ways from mainland China. Um, how is all this being taken in Hong Kong? Well, it's it's interesting because it's sort of a Sort of, you know, it was Kubler-Ross um, stages of of thing with this. And we've seen initial denial, we've seen anger, we've seen panic. Uh, frankly, a little worried you might be getting to a stage of fatigue. People start thinking this, you know, just too much to try and with. Uh, I think what's happening is that people have been very angry initially. The sort of response that we saw here, um, sort of a denial, this was a serious problem, and suddenly a, a real panic to come around to, to, to deal with. And now it does seem like uh, the government is taking this very seriously. Um, we are getting more data out. We are uh, seeing sort of much more stringent measures in place. For example, uh, you know, primary schools have been uh, uh, delayed the reopening them um, again and so on. Um, what we've seen very clearly here is, is a, a very big change in lifestyle. People walking around, people cutting back social engagement, um, you know, the amount of hand wash goes on now. Um, so there's a social impact. Um, there's clearly, I think, a recognition that uh, whatever happens in Hong Kong, they could be tied to the mainland, uh, how the mainland deals with this, and how it gets a group on uh, on the risk, um, is critical for Hong Kong because water is, one way or another, going to be porous. Whatever happens in China is going to have some impact on Hong Kong. And finally, of course, the economic impact of um, regard of uh, whether this uh, fixed in three or six months or longer is clearly told already. Um, that's uh, probably sort of the biggest and most tangible impact um, on Hong Kong right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, Yo Ai Hoon, what about Singapore? Is there uh, any indication of panic there? Well, um, no, not at the moment. I mean, initially, last the first first week of first two weeks of uh, April, I think we were a bit more nervous. I, but in the last week or so, the last seven days, the government has come up with a whole lot of measures, basically to short confidence. Uh, Karen Palmer, if I may ask you, uh, the United States Centers for Disease Control 
uh, has reported cases in most of the states in the Soviet Union. <laughs> I'm sorry, I said Soviet Union, excuse me. Most of the states in the United States. Um, but uh, yesterday, they issued a warning to Americans traveling to Toronto uh, that they should be careful and not go there if they really didn't have to. Um, uh, why are they uh, picking on Toronto like that? <laughs> well, I think there is a perception that there is community spread in Toronto. That seems to be my understanding, at least, of the situation in Asia, is that they're having trouble sort of linking cases back to, you know, how how did these people actually get it? Where did they actually get it from? Um, in the last couple weeks, we have had um, some speculation here that, that we may also have had some community spread in a religious group uh, where there was a doctor treating someone who had um, SARS and, and may have spread it, and that this group may have spread it, and that because of that, there may not have been an obvious link back to our original case. Um, they've since sort of said that's not entirely true. Um, they've had a quarantine period that just ended yesterday. Of that, they had only six cases. So they're starting to sort of say now um, it's not out of control. You know, it seems to be far far more in, in line than, than we had originally thought. I think the CDC is, is simply trying to keep their own people, um, you know, safe and, and you know, I, I can understand that. My understanding of the CDC's um, recommendation is that they ask people to bring masks and be prepared, but not necessarily to wear them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Karen, you're a public health reporter, and you have uh, uh, covered stories concerning diseases and the spread of diseases, I'm sure, before. Um, how is this disease different from uh, other um, uh, harsh viral diseases? Well, I think what makes SARS so different is that it's just such a big unknown. You know, with something like measles, for example, they know what the incubation period is. They know what puts you at risk for getting it. They know how to keep you safe from it. With something like tuberculosis, which this was in Toronto at least, we initially thought our SARS case was a tuberculosis case. TB moves very slowly. There's, You know, you can do something if people get exposed to it. There are drugs that treat it. There are prophylaxis. There are things like that. With SARS, there are none of those things. And they're sort of, you know, taking a look at all their, their epidemiological tools and sort of saying, okay, do we even know for sure what the incubation period is? And, and you've seen it sort of change over the, the course of the outbreak. First they thought it was about three days, then they thought it was five, now they're up to ten. There's some speculation in Asia that it could be 12 days. You know, they're not entirely sure when are you infectious. And, you know, if the symptoms are fever, headache, all these things, what is it the one that you get where it's like, boom, you have to stay out of the public because this is what makes you contagious to other people? Um, you know, they, they don't really know how to treat it, which is kind of scary. They don't really know what's what's working, what's not working. Initially, they thought that an antiviral would work. Now they're saying, no, that doesn't work at all. They thought maybe steroids would be helping, and now they're saying, actually, we think the steroids are making it worse. There's some talk of using thalidomide, maybe giving that a try. Hmm. You know, like it's just such an unknown. Yeah. All right. Just for the benefit of our listeners, thalidomide is the uh, the drug which has such uh, um, uh, potential uh, for causing birth defects. Um, uh, what about uh, in China, Christopher Bodine? Uh, what kind of treatment are they doing there? Are they uh, doing any experimentation? Are they coming up with uh, with any good medications? We we hear a lot, and and if I just take the uh, the opportunity to to emphasize China's problem here is not so much their 
their lack of medical uh, expertise. It's, it's really their crisis management and, and uh, lack of investment in public health. Mm-hmm. But uh, as far as, as working on a, a, a cure, they've been stressing international cooperation, um, uh, exchanging uh, ideas. There's, there's a conference on right now in Beijing with uh, uh, participants from Hong Kong and, and Taiwan talking about what has worked and what hasn't. Um, China has the additional um, uh, treatment aspect of, of traditional Chinese medicine, and a lot of people have been turning to that both as a as form of pro- prophylaxis and also as a as a way of treatment. They say that has been effective in treating some of the symptoms of SARS, not not just curing the disease, but some of the symptoms such as high fever, um, cough, and, and some breathing difficulties. When you uh, say traditional in, Chinese mm-hmm. medicine, you're talking uh, about herb, what we in the United States remedies. would call untraditional. Uh, you're talking right. about um, use, use of herb, herbal drugs and that kind of thing. Herbal drugs and some um, uh, some even some more unusual treatments. Dried. Uh, I don't know exactly what what are in these, but uh, dried uh, dried insects or seahorses and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, the main thing about traditional medicine is that it, it takes a, a while to to take effect. It's much less of a, a shock to the system than some Western treatments. But again, I emphasize that's only treating some of these symptoms. As far as an actual cure for SARS, uh, we we haven't been given anything uh, firm on that. You're listening to a From the Vault episode of Global Journalist. In this April 24, 2003 episode, the late Missouri School of Journalism professor Stuart Lurie explored the then-unfolding SARS epidemic with journalists covering it in several hotspots, Beijing, Hong Kong, Singapore, and Toronto. Our student journalists at the Missouri School of Journalism are hard at work right now, interviewing the journalists who are covering the COVID pandemic. Watch for their upcoming episodes at kbia.org. Again, here's Stuart Lurie. Before the break, we were talking to Christopher Bodine uh, about using uh, traditional Chinese medicine to uh, to try to handle the symptoms. Uh, what about in Hong Kong and Singapore? Uh, Reg, uh, how are cases being handled in Hong Kong? Well, Hong Kong was the one that came up, I think, with the with with the original, um, you know, uh, ribovirin and the uh, steroid treatments, which I think are now uh, being questioned. Um, they're also working on using, um, uh, taking blood from, uh, from, from patients and, and then uh, injecting into to other patients on the theory, I think, that you develop antibodies. Um, I think, frankly, nobody really knows what works and what doesn't work right now. Um, that sort of adds a bit to the, to the scare factor. Um, I think what's interesting, obviously, is the speed at which the medical community is really working on this, and I, I, that's the the one big uh, change that has occurred in in the out in this outbreak versus um, you know uh, other outbreaks in the past. I mean, it took years to to figure out what caused AIDS. In this mm-hmm. case, um, you know, we've got scientists around the world nailing this down. At least we think they've nailed it down uh, in a matter of weeks. So that's the one thing I think that gives people. Uh, cause for some optimism that uh, that we'll be able to to if not you know uh, uh, deal with this firmly at least be able to sort of ring fence it be able to um, to to have some form of treatment in a in a reasonable period of time. Yeah. And Yoai, how about in Singapore? Are, uh, any uh, is any research being done? Any investigation uh, to try to come up with uh, a, a proper treatment? 
Well, the researchers here have uh, broken the genetic code of the, uh, the virus, so they're working on a dyna- uh, diagnostic kit at the moment. Um, again, the treatment is pretty similar to Hong Kong, I, I think, using antibiotics, removering as the main one, as well as um, using the serum of recovered patients, injecting it to uh, um, patients at the moment. Um, uh, of course, on, on the um, underground, a lot of people would use the Chinese medicines. In fact, um, the last last month or so, a lot of Chinese herbs have been um, basically grabbed from the store. I mean, prices have gone up two, three times. And uh, the belief in, I think, on the ground is that these herbs can help to um, sort of at least prevent the virus from spreading. Also, um, on the ground, yes, people, you know, sort of, Sort of grabbing sort of uh, vitamin C's and 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 that that sort of things. But um, um, uh, again, I think like what Regina said, you know, we are quite um, glad that you know, the medical community is actually working very hard or really round the clock like, to try to find a diagnostic kit first and foremost, and then working towards a cure, which I, I guess will be a couple of years time. Yeah. Uh, Karen, uh, this virus and this disease has gotten the reputation for being a, a, a serious killer. Um, is that being overplayed, or is it uh, indeed such a, a lethal disease? Well, that's and if so, why? That's an actually really interesting question. We just had an, an expert here in Canada yesterday say, you know, I, I think it's being a bit overblown. In Toronto, we've had 16 deaths now. And because of where our outbreak started, it was mostly in a hospital. These are people who were already in the hospital for other conditions. And that's mostly who it's affecting, people who had heart problems, people who had underlying medical conditions. And as this doctor was saying, you know, in the eight weeks that we've seen it here in Ontario, you would expect to see, you know, about 200 people die in car crashes. You would expect to see about almost 2,000 people die of smoking-related diseases. So is it, you know, as virulent, is it as as horrible as we're making it out to be? Even the flu, you know, could kill more people than than just 16 in eight, eight weeks. So I think the the prevailing thing here is that, you know, the problem is that it's virulent and we don't know really how to stop it and how to treat it and all these things. They're not so much, they don't seem to be so much concerned with the mortality rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, the people who are dying, what is the cause of death? What are they dying from? Well, SARS is certainly contributing to it, but we've had lots of people who have, um, like I said, heart conditions. One of the people who died was 99 years old, you know, so there could have been a lot of things going on there. The median age for our deaths has been about 74. The youngest person who died was 43, and he, uh, I mean, this isn't what I consider serious, but he was a, a diabetic, and he also had high blood pressure. And just even that, I guess, can make your system, you know, weak enough that, that the pneumonia can just get in there and take over. I think in Hong Kong, though, the, the thing that worries people is that we've seen Incidents now of, of, you know, people who are otherwise healthy and younger people in their 30s and early 40s were also dying. And, and I think this has sparked a bit more of uh, concern and a bit more panic that, um, you know, it's, it's either perhaps more virulent here uh, or, um, you know, there's something that's, that's unexplained yet. Um, there's also the, the, the whole Amoy Gardens uh, housing complex, which um, where the disease seems to have spread through, um, uh, you know, bad sewage system which hasn't seemed to have been the case in other um, infections as well. So it's, all, it's, it's the big sort of unknowns that are really uh, causing the panic rather than the absolute number of, of deaths. Yeah. Christopher, would you say the, uh, the same thing is happening in China? 
Um, well, here it's it, 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 they also have a very very hard time sort of uh, nailing down what what causes the uh, the illness and how it's transmitted. It's interesting the comparison with Hong Kong. Beijing is a very dry climate, um, uh, colder now going into a warm season, um, and you have to sort of wonder about the environmental factors here. Uh, lifestyles are very different in Beijing, not quite so uh, concentrated, uh, a lot more um, open air, far less sort of ventilation systems and, and, and units where, where uh, the sort of environment where a, a virus could really thrive. So we, we just don't know. Um, they have, uh, cause of death is often given as, as um, uh, edema and, and that sort of thing here. Mm-hmm. And we don't really know about uh, other contributing factors. Chinese scientists have suggested, however, that there could be, uh, not just Chinese, I'm sorry, also WHO people who have been here have suggested that it could be uh, the coronavirus and then other sort of factors. They talk about uh, something carried by chlamydia and, and the like that could make it worse. So uh, that's being looked into, but they're far from a, a, a solution here. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the economic impact, uh, which has been on the minds of a lot of people. And, Reg, you brought that up as far as Hong Kong is concerned. Uh, but uh, there were stories in Toronto uh, yesterday and also in the New York Times about the serious economic impact that this is likely to have on Canada. Uh, Karen, how big a concern is that? Oh, it's huge, actually. I mean, I've never seen our politicians as furious as they were yesterday when they learned that the WHO or the World Health Organization had issued a travel warning against Toronto. They just came out and drove, sort of saying, this is completely unnecessary, this is totally unfair. You know, they were just livid. We've, I mean, I, I, it almost sounds ter- terrible to complain when we've only been going through it as long as we have, and China has been going through it for a lot longer, but we've been losing conferences and, you know, uh, several thousand uh, people that were supposed to come to the city, you know, at one conference they estimated would have brought in about $20 million. You know, and I think people are just, you know, rather be safe than sorry. You know, gee, it sounds like a bad situation. I might as well just avoid it altogether. And uh, pe- People not in Toronto who would rather be safe than sorry. Right, exactly. I mean, people that were thinking about coming to Toronto or visiting family in Toronto. I mean, even locally, um, restaurants are saying their business is down. People are staying in. They're, they're not wanting to chance it. So. But, Karen, you're a public health reporter. Uh, what do you think? Is is the story being overplayed, or uh, uh, do you think that the politicians are overreacting to all the criticism? In terms of whether we should have a ban against Right. Um, you know, I think it maybe is a little bit reactionary. Um, but then I, I sort of feel the same way sometimes, as, as they probably do in, in Beijing, about getting the clear picture of what's really going on here. I mean, when I came in yesterday and saw that they'd issued a, a travel advisory, I was quite shocked because the information we're getting here on the ground is that, you know, it's mostly contained to hospitals and that they are quite sure that they have their arms around the people who were exposed in that area and that they're keeping close enough eye on them and keeping them contained enough that they shouldn't be exposing it outside of their own household. And so when we heard, you know, we had heard that there was cases from Toronto that went to Australia, and we had been told that those aren't actually cases. And then we heard about the Philippines, and a woman there who had been in Toronto died in the Philippines, and her father also died, and we were told, well, they're not, we're not considering them SARS cases either. 
there's a case in Pennsylvania that, that started here in Toronto, and that is actually the only, you know, for sure, this is SARS case that we've been hearing about. And now it's suddenly, you know, that Australia is a case and Philippines is a case. There's one in Pennsylvania. There could be one in New York. There's possibly one in Baltimore. So I'm starting to feel like maybe we're not getting the, the truest picture of what's happening here in Toronto either. Or, you know, the, you know, there's an obvious link to Toronto, so that must be what it is, as opposed to, you know, looking for other sources of a potential SARS infection. I mean, it's really difficult. Things are really changing so fast, and every day there's, you know, this is like a hydra-headed story where there's mm-hmm. so many things to be covering. A lot gets lost in the shuffle, and I know we were certainly a little surprised yesterday when, when the World Health Organization sort of said, oh, well, you know, no, Toronto, we, we feel it's out of control there, because that certainly isn't how I've been how I've been picturing it here. Uh, Christopher, there uh, have been reports in the paper that one of the reasons uh, the situation was not aired sooner in China was because of the change in leadership there and that the the leaders did not want any stories uh, that were uh, going to hurt their image in any way. Uh, Do you think this really happened? Well, I think that may be a partial explanation. China went through the leadership process, uh, uh, sorry, change process, about in uh, early March. Mm-hmm. And at that time, um, we knew that the media was under order to uh, not allow any bad news to interfere with that. Uh, it was a big deal to China, the first sort of peaceful transition to a new new uh, group of leaders in the, in the communist uh, era. But... Um, since then, it's it's really been uh, harder to to tell a, a combination of uh, sort of bureaucratic inertia, uh, sort of secretive uh, processes of the uh, of the communist government here, the um, lack of any clear leadership. The the health minister was a, uh, a sort of uh, in that position for many years and had had the uh, the confidence of the previous leadership and sort of been uh, uh, cruising. And uh, never really told uh, local health departments how they ought to handle it. And um, he 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 has now been uh, been removed from his Communist Party positions, and, and we believe he will be removed as minister as well. Right. The mayor of Beijing was also sacked. Right. Christopher, um, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but we have only a few seconds left, and I want to ask Reg Chua, uh how is your newspaper handling this story? Where does it rank in comparison with uh, uh, Iraq these days or the other major stories? This is absolutely the most important story, not not just in Hong Kong, but all around Asia. If you just look at the, you know, I mean, we're a business newspaper, but and if, and if we treated it simply as an economic story, this would be already be a huge story, but it's more than that. That's it for this From the Vault episode of Global Journalist. You've been listening to an April 24th, 2003 program on the SARS epidemic. Some of the music used in this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions. The guests for this episode were Reginald Chua, then editor of the Asian Wall Street Journal in Hong Kong, Karen Palmer, then of the Toronto Star in Toronto, Yo Ai Hoon, then television producer in Singapore, and Christopher Bodine of the Associated Press in Beijing. The director was Pat Akers, and the producers then were Sarah Andrea Fajardo and Augustine Tang. Our Missouri School of Journalism students will soon be bringing you fresh interviews with the reporters on the front lines of the coronavirus pandemic. 
find their work or listen to this show again at kbia.org. For all of us at Global Journalist, I'm Trevor Hook. Thanks for listening.